We're going to uh, come back to this passage that Manny read for us here more toward the end of the message. But I've titled the message this morning, God's, God's Chosen People. And then I guess along with that, ask myself the question right away, and, and all of you as well, who are God's chosen people? And I believe as we, we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament trying to answer that question as to who God's chosen people are and see what the Bible has to say about it. And then we're going to end here in, in Romans, uh, mainly the, the verses following where Manny read, verses 14 through 24. But I believe the first 13 verses there give us a pretty good, a pretty good uh, maybe a backdrop for what Paul has to say in the following verses. So maybe, first of all, the Webster's definition for the word chosen just simply says selected or marked for favor or special privilege. I think the biblical definition may kind of fit that, but I think it's also a little different as we look at the word chosen, the way it's used in the Bible several times. I know we, according to Romans chapter 2 and verse 11, it tells us that God is no, that there is no respect of persons with God. So God doesn't favor any person over anyone else. And yet we have this coming through in the Bible again and again of God's chosen people. But I believe God has chosen a people, and the reason he has chosen them is for a specific purpose. Not necessarily because of who they are or what they did, but because God had a plan in mind. God still has a plan in mind. And God chose these people for that purpose. So then as we look at the Old Testament, we're just going to go maybe a little through this a little backwards. If we look at Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, it says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that were upon the face of the earth. Now we know this isn't the first time that God well, this isn't where God actually chose his people, but this was a reminder to them of who they are. And also in that verse, the word holy says he has chosen them. He calls them a holy people. And we know by studying the history of the Jews, the history of Israel, that they weren't necessarily always, would we say, the best people. They were... They fell a lot. They turned their back on God quite a bit. But I believe the word holy here just simply means kind of the same as chosen. It means to be set apart, set apart for a specific purpose. God has a plan for his people, not because of how great they were, but I believe it's simply because of God's love for mankind. And also, as we back up a little further, because of his oath to their fathers. If we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, I'm going to read a few verses there. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 7 says, the Lord, the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath, 
which he had sworn unto your fathers. Hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt? Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And then verse 10 says, And repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to them that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. So there again, just a reminder to them of who they are. They are God's chosen people. I believe this is talking specifically to to the, the nation of Israel, to the Jews here, to Abraham's descendants. And he tells them here that it's because of his oath to your fathers. So as we back up a little further yet to Genesis chapter 12, I believe where God made these promises to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3 says, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Once again, I believe God chose a people. God chose Abraham and his descendants so that he could demonstrate his kindness, his promise-keeping character to the entire world. And as it says in verse 3 here in Genesis 12, to bless all the families of the earth. As I thought about that last phrase, what, what are the blessings? Are there any blessings that we experience today because of God's promise to Abraham here? Is there anybody that, can you think of any blessing just that we experience today because of, because of this promise to Abraham? Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I think the first one that came to my mind was was it's through that lineage that God sent Jesus. God chose Israel and God has kept his promise with them regardless of their what do we say behavior, their backsliding, their sin, their rejection of him at times. But we see God's faithfulness in keeping his promises. I just want to read a few verses in Ezekiel as well. Ezekiel chapter 36. And verse 22 through 24. Verse 22 says, Therefore say thou unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. And skipping down to verse 32, it says, Not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord God. Be it known unto you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. 
So there again, it wasn't because of who they were, but it was because of God. It was because of his promise that he was going to bring them back into their own land, that he was going to that he was going to show to the heathen who he is. And as we think about God's promise with Abraham, we're not going to turn to those verses there, but where God made the covenant with Abraham, where they had the the animals laid apart there and and God walked between those animals And God told Abraham, this is what I will do. You know, God at that point, according to tradition there, Abraham should have walked through that as well. And then it would have been a covenant between God and Abraham. I believe God knew that Abraham and his descendants would not always do their part in the covenant. So God walked through there by himself. He took that covenant upon himself. He swore by his own name, it tells us, that he would keep this promise that he would stay true to this and as we think about this this God that was able to to make this covenant knowing that the other the other party the other part of the covenant would not always stay true and yet God was committed God he swore to uh, he swore by himself that he would still keep his promise as we go throughout the Old Testament even into the New Testament and we see the way that Israel continued to just turn their back to God and, and reject him time and time again. We still see God staying true to that covenant, just as he promised he would. Despite the fact that God chose Israel for a specific purpose, out of all the other nations and people of the world at that time, I don't think this makes the, the Jewish people, this Jewish nation, the Israelites, any more loved by God than, than other people. God used Abraham's family, I believe, to demonstrate his character and his love to the world. But we also have that verse in John 3, verse 16, where it says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So just because we're not by blood born into the nation of Israel, and we'll get into that more a little later as we get into Romans, it tells us that God gave his son so that whoever believes in him, it doesn't matter who we are. In instruction class this morning, the lesson was on salvation. It's a free gift. But I believe God used and is still using the nation of Israel to demonstrate his love and his power to the world. As, as Dave mentioned, God sent his son to earth through King David's lineage. David was of the tribe of Judah, which was obviously of the nation of Israel and had its roots going all the way back to Abraham and the promises that God made there. Another interesting part in, I believe, Jesus' earthly lineage, as we would call it. We know Jesus was God's own son, but he was born of a woman. And as we, as we look at the, the history there, the lineage there, we see that not everybody in Jesus' earthly family was actually Jewish. We have Ruth from Moab was 
became part of that family, became part of that line by being married into the family there, which I believe is a, just, a, just a wonderful example of, of God's love to the world. If we are willing to accept God's promises and believe him through faith, we can be part of that family. Just like everything else that God tries to do, the devil, I believe, tries to destroy it. We saw that several weeks ago when we talked about Ananias and Sapphira and the things that seemed when there was a new thing, a new age, a new era that the devil was always trying to work against what God was doing. And I believe that's very, very obvious as we follow the history of the nation of Israel. I believe the devil knows that if he could succeed in destroying Israel, he could succeed in pretty much voiding God's word because God said these people will always be, these people will always have a land, and they will always be my people. So if the devil could just get rid of them, he could say, see, God can't keep his promise. But praise the Lord, we serve a risen Lord who has defeated that power. But nonetheless, I believe the devil is still hard at work, was hard at work throughout history and still today. We have examples in the Bible. I had to think of, of Haman in the time of Esther. His goal was to destroy all the Jews in the Persian Empire and, and beyond, if, if at all possible, because of his hatred for Mordecai there. And we know the story of deliverance there through Esther being the queen. And we have the time of the, when the Romans were ruling and the, the thousands and thousands of Jews that they destroyed. And yet there was a remnant. There was always a people that were, part, that were God's chosen people. That, that line of that lineage was always there. And then a little more recent history maybe. During the time of the, the Spanish colonizers, they claimed... Many of these people claim that they were chosen to take the place of the Jews. Because of the way Israel had failed, they claim they were, they were now the chosen ones. So they set out to destroy, to, they attempted to destroy the nation of Israel as well. And sadly, I believe many American settlers kind of viewed themselves as the same way. They have viewed themselves to be chosen of God. They came to this land. Many times we see the, the early settlers as, as heroes, you know, they, they conquered this land, they took over, but many of them had, I believe many of them had a, what do we say, a warped view of, of who God was. They thought they were chosen to conquer this new land and to drive out the natives here. I don't believe that was at all designed or led by God for some of those things to take place. In 1861, Abraham Lincoln made the statement, and I know this is kind of a negative picture on Abraham Lincoln, oftentimes we hold him pretty high, but he made the statement that America is God's almost chosen people. Pretty much referring to that they're, they're right up there. We rank pretty high with, you know, here, there's Israel, they were God's chosen, well, America comes right next. And I believe it's I believe it's important that we understand the verse in Romans 2, 11, where it says that God doesn't respect. God is not a respecter of persons. 
And as we start, we see what happened when people begin to think that they were better than others. We have the time of Hitler where he also tried to completely exterminate the Jews. And many wars have been fought throughout history and even today just on the basis of me being better than them. Us, we are better than them or we, we rank a little higher. We are chosen. We are called for this. I believe it's important that we realize God chose the nation of Israel God chose them as his people. He chose them because he wanted them to, through them, he wanted to display his love for the entire world. All the people of the world are God's people. God made this covenant with Israel. He made this covenant with Abraham, this promise with Abraham. And I believe it's important that we understand they will be his chosen people forever. God promised to multiply them. God promised to give them a land. God promised to be their God. I just praise God this morning that, that through faith in Him, we too can become a part of this blessing. We too can become a part of the inheritance that is talked about throughout, mainly throughout the New Testament as, as we... Turn, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. read several verses here in Ephesians chapter 2. I really enjoy some of, some of Paul's teachings here in the New Testament concerning, concerning the Gentiles and the way they are brought into, brought into the faith. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 says, but God, I'm just going to read from verse 4 through verse 10, it says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. And we see some, some phrases and some statements here that sound a lot like some of the promises that God would have made to Israel in the Old Testament tells us that, that there's, they're raised up to sit in heavenly places. God's going to show exceeding riches of his grace. That we're saved through grace. It's not because of us, but it's a gift of God. And then in, in verse 11, 11 through 13 here in Ephesians 2, I think Paul explains a little bit what he's talking about here. He says, wherefore remember. I think it's important that we understand he's not only talking to to Israel or the Jews here in, in the first several verses. Verse 11, he says, Wherefore remember that ye, being in, the, in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel 
and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So there in verse 12, I believe is, he says we were, we were aliens of the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers. Those promises, those covenants didn't apply to us. But in verse 13, he says, Now in Christ, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We had the privilege of being with the youth at their banquet on Friday evening. John Lewis from Weavertown was there and had, the, had a short topic, and he was talking about Christmas and about Jesus sent, or God sending his son Jesus. And he asked the question, what do we think about when we think of, see if I can get this, how he asked it so much, that what do we think about when we think of Christmas, when we think of Jesus and the, the, his, God sending his son? And he said he believes it's important that we think about sin. It's probably the last thing that we think about when we think of Christmas, but he said it's because of our sin. It's because of our straying from God that it was necessary for God to send his son. And I believe that's what Paul is bringing out here. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. God sent his son. He came to this earth for a purpose as well. He came to shed his blood, I believe, so that we can now be partakers of the promise, that we can be no more strangers and no more aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, but we can become part of the promise as well. I'm going to spend the rest of our time now in, in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, we'll just start in verse 1 and, and just go through this passage probably fairly quickly, but Paul starts out with a question here in, in verse 1. He says, Hath God cast away his people? And I believe there was times when Israel was so far away from God that they probably, or they did, feel that way sometimes. They felt like God forsook them. They felt like they were alone. But every time that they returned to God, I believe they realized or they saw that it was them that had strayed. God was still there. God was still keeping his promise. God was still faithful. Here Paul asks the question, did God cast away his people? He says, God forbid. And then he uses himself as an example. He said, I'm an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. And I think in essence he's saying, God saved me. God, through Jesus, saved me. He didn't cast away his people. We're not forsaken. Verse 2, he says, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. And then he, then he quotes some Old Testament where, where Elias there was, was telling God that, look, I'm the only one left. Just take my life. Nobody else is serving you. They have killed your prophets. They dig down your altars. And I'm, I'm, I'm left alone, and they're, they're trying to kill me as well. God told him at that time, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So I think Paul is using some of this history to remind, 
to remind the the Jews here and, and probably also the Gentiles that God is faithful. God has been faithful. God will be faithful. Verse 5, he says, Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There are still people that are faithful. There are still people who are trusting God. He goes on there to talk about grace and works and just explains that explains once again that it's nothing that we can do to earn this. It's because of God. It's because of his grace. It's because of his love. It's because of his promises. And then he goes on in verse 7. He says, Israel hath, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained, hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And I believe that was a fairly, probably a fairly accurate description of Israel. There was many times when they just simply didn't seem to understand or see what God was trying to show them, what God was trying to teach them. And even he mentions, Paul mentions David here that David had even talked about this, that their eyes would be darkened, that they may not see and bow down their back alway. And then verse 11, I think, is where it, where it gets really interesting for me. I had never quite, I guess, quite seen some of this in this way before. But in verse 11, it says, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Again, God's promise to Israel is not dependent on them, but on God himself. Even though Israel stumbled, even though Israel fell, that didn't change God's mind. He didn't replace them with another people, but he used that as an example to the rest of the world. Because Paul was often rejected by some of the Jews, he says, I became, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. So verse 12, it says, Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. So he's saying if, if, because they stumbled, because they fell, now the gospel went out to the Gentiles. But if they, if, if they decide to believe, if the Jewish people decide to believe, how much more is that their fullness? How, how wonderful that is. He also says that as the gospel went out to the Gentiles, it went out to them, that's in verse 14, Paul went out to the Gentiles to take the gospel to them, not to reject the Jews, but to provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. So what he's saying there is he wanted to make them jealous. I believe he wanted to make the Jews jealous of what the Gentiles now had. He wanted to provoke his own people to jealousy. 
And through that, he says in verse 14, that I might save, or that some of them may be saved. I believe that was, I think that's the story coming through in, or the, the point coming through in the story of the prodigal son as well. So we think of the son that was there with his father and, his, and the father's servants. The son decides he wants to go off on his own. His father gives him his share of the inheritance. And he goes and lives his life the way he wants to. But when he comes to the end of himself, he realizes that even his father's servants have it better than he does. And I think that's what Paul is saying here, that the, gen- that the gospel going to the Gentiles, that the, the Jews here would see that the Gentiles have something that we could have. They have something that really is ours. The prodigal son realized that his father's servants are enjoying things that really could be his, that really should be his. And in that way, I believe he came back. He was willing to do what it takes to become part of his father's household again. I believe that is the call of Paul's burden here for the Jews, is that they would, that they would see God through the Gentiles and come back. The Bible also tells us several times that God saw Israel as a stiff-necked and stubborn people. I asked myself the question, why did God choose such a people for himself? Why did God not choose a humble and obedient people? We're also told in the Bible that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I believe anybody that God would have chosen would have failed him. But did you ever consider that if God, if, if the children of Israel would have followed God perfectly the way he wanted them to, would we know, would we have examples of God's enduring love, God's patience, God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's long-suffering? The Bible is full of stories about God and his, his love, his mercy. Yes, also of his wrath and his judgment. But I believe it's because of I believe it's because of their shortcomings that we can see God, that we can realize who God is, that we can realize his great love for us. It's through this that we realize there is no limit to God's love and forgiveness. Going on in Romans 11 here, Verse 16, it says, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. In 17, he says, And if some of the branches be broken off. I think here he's talking about the Jews, the children of Israel, falling away, rejecting God. Some of the branches here are broken off. And thou, talking to the Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Once again, just a, he's given us a, a picture here of what, it is, what it's like to be a Gentile and to be part of this family of God. He says some of, the, some of the natural branches that were growing out of this olive tree were broken off, but now we have been grafted in there 
and we're, we can partake of the root. We can be, we're, we're getting life from the root, just the same as they were before they were broken off. We can enjoy the fatness of the olive tree. But then he gives a warning in verse 18. He says, boast not against the branches. And I think this is maybe what has happened throughout history sometimes when there's been some big, some big awakenings maybe or Christian movements. People think they have a new revelation. People think they understand now and the Jews, you know, they are now the chosen people over the Jews. But Paul tells us here, boast not against the branches. If thou boast, thou bearest not the root. Thou, thou bearest not the root, but the root bears you. It's, it's not you that's giving yourself life, but you're getting life from that root. The branches were broken off, and that gave opportunity for me to be grafted in. And he goes on in verse 20, it's because of unbelief that they were broken off. And we stand here by faith. We're grafted in by faith. He tells us, be not high-minded, but fear. And I think verse 21 is a, is a really good warning for us. He says, if God spared not the natural branches, God was willing to punish his chosen people. He was willing to break off those branches when they were not faithful. He says, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Just again, a perfect picture of, of salvation, of redemption. Just because they were grafted, just because they were broken off, he says, you were a wild olive tree. God could graft you in. God can graft them back in as well if they repent, if they believe. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into the good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? And again, through the nation of Israel, I believe God, the Creator, chose to reveal Himself and His Son to the world. He wanted the world to see His love. He wanted the world to see Him as God. And then verses 25 through 27 here in Romans chapter 11. I believe there's still some prophecies here that I don't understand. I believe there's still some things here that God will still fulfill. But I'm going to read these few verses. It says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles is come. So it, it sounds here like Israel is blinded so that, so that the Gentiles talks about the fullness of the Gentiles. And in verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. There's also verses in, in Zechariah. We're not going to take time to turn there, but there's verses in Zechariah that talk about the old men and the old women walking the streets of Jerusalem, and the children playing in the streets of Jerusalem, and God being their God, God being there as their Father. 
So as we bring this to a close, I'd just like to remind us again that if we remain connected to the vine, if we remain connected to the root, we need not fear, but I believe we can rejoice as we see God working in the world today, as we see God working in the nation of Israel today. And we realize by the things that are happening around us that I believe the end is nearing. But as I, as I was studying this, I, I just realized again that I believe God does have a plan for Israel even today. And what a blessing it is to be able to be a part of that plan, to be grafted in to that tree. I just want to close with reading several verses from Revelation chapter 21. I believe this, is, this here is talking about well, the heading of my Bible says the new earth. And when exactly this will all take place, how it will all take place, I don't know. But I trust that God will bring this about just as he says here in these verses. Revelation 21, verse 1 through 7. It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I believe it's because of the stories in the Bible that we can... We can see God's faithfulness from Genesis all the way through the end. And it's with, those, with reading those stories that I believe that God will bring this to pass. And that I trust that all those who are faithful can be partakers here. He gives warnings there in verse 8 about the fearful and the unbelieving and the terrible things that happen to those who do not believe. So it's my plea with for each of us this morning to continue to trust in God and to follow him faithfully. Shall we kneel for prayer?